First Baptist Church of New Orleans moved into the current church facility, this facility we sit in, seven years ago today. The only place, amen. Thank you, Lord, for your goodness. The only place I ever worshipped longer than I've worshipped here in this facility is down at the old church. At St. Charles and Napoleon. Between these two sites, I've had my preaching point now for these 15 years and my assignment for pastoral ministry. These 15 years have been exhilarating and tumultuous. Relocation was itself a tremendous undertaking that required enormous financial and human resources from this congregation. After we decided to move, it took us seven years to do it. The emotional cost of relocation was perhaps the highest price tag of it all. It's hard for a congregation to do. We had scarcely settled into this facility less than 15 months of occupancy when Hurricane Katrina struck New Orleans, our city, including all of our church neighborhood, was flooded and plunged into darkness. We returned to worship at the new facility seven weeks after the storm. We used a large generator to run our lights and fan until electrical power was restored more than three months later. Our church staff worked off of our kitchen tables until internet and telephone service was restored almost a year later. The annual hurricane season stirs up for many of us some unsettling memories, doesn't it? We lost our friends, our businesses, our homes, and our way of life in that terrible flood. We choked on the dust from 10,000 demolitions and gagged on the rancor of rotten meat from every corner. We sank exhausted into borrowed beds week after week, commuted 100 miles to work and school, and led and fed waves of volunteers who donned hazmat suits and helped us clean up the awful mess. We set up structures and initiatives in the wake of Hurricane Katrina that endured for the years of cleanup but are now rendered obsolete by progress, and so we continue to transition. We transition from normal to chaos, to disaster relief, to clean up, to rebuild. And now we are transitioning again to what the mayor calls our city's new normal. I doubt any congregation in America has endured more than... First Baptist New Orleans over these 15 years.
I didn't know when I came that my ministry would be defined by crisis and disaster. I tell young ministers now, you don't get to choose the way you'll be remembered. Maybe you get to make life happen, but lots of times life happens to you. And you don't get to pick what tomorrow will bring forth. Is that a truth? Personally? Corporately? I want to talk to you, my beloved friends and church family, about the current transition which we are undergoing. I want to do so using a metaphor that I often used after the great storm, the open door. We felt like many doors were closed. We'd knock on those doors as a congregation and nobody would answer. We sent teams out to go door to door at one point, and they worked all afternoon and had the opportunity to speak to two individuals knocking on doors. We felt like the doors were closed. And after Katrina, you could drive down any street in this neighborhood, and all the doors were open. It was the product of the disaster, the crisis. The doors were flung open. We had great opportunities. I want to talk to you about an open door from Revelation chapter 3. Now, lots of revelation has been in our singing. We sang the days of Elijah. We sang who was and who is and who is to come. And that's all the book of Revelation. We sung about worship. And as we sing about casting our crowns before him and kneeling before him, much of that comes from the book of Revelation. But I want us to go to chapter 3 of the book of Revelation. I could have picked any one of these seven churches upon which to expound, and they are all very different. The seven churches of Revelation, the letters make up chapters 2 and 3. But I want to go to chapter 3, verse 7, to the church in Philadelphia. Philadelphia is not mentioned elsewhere in Scripture, except here and in the first chapter where the seven letters are listed. Philadelphia means what? Brotherly love, city of brotherly love. It appears to me that the city's measuring up to its name, given this letter in which there is no criticism from the Lord, only commendation. Verse 7 says to the angel of the church in Philadelphia, right. Somebody says, does every church have an angel? I don't know, maybe so. Somebody else said, well, that must be the pastor of the church. And sometimes people have thought that. Pastors are messengers, and that's the core meaning of angel. To the angel of the church in Philadelphia write, These are the words of him who is holy and true, who holds the key of David. What he opens, no one can shut. What he shuts, no one can open. I know your deeds. 
See, I have placed before you an open door that no one can shut. I know that you have little strength, yet you have kept my word and have not denied my name. I will make those who are the synagogue of Satan, who claim to be Jews, though they are not, but are liars. I will make them come and fall down at your feet and acknowledge that I have loved you. Since you have kept my command to endure patiently, I will also keep you from the hour of trial that is going to come upon the whole world to test those who live on the earth. I am coming soon. Hold on to what you have so that you, no one will take your crown. Him who overcomes, I will make a pillar in the temple of my God. Never again will he leave it. I will write on him the name of my God and the name of the city of my God, the new Jerusalem, which is coming down out of heaven from my God. And I will also write on him my new name. He who has an ear. Let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The Spirit is speaking to the church at Philadelphia through this letter. The Spirit is also speaking to Pergamum and Thyatira and Sardis and Laodicea and Ephesus. The Spirit is speaking to the churches through this letter, including churches of this generation and First Baptist New Orleans. This is a message for the church right here, right now. Listen up, church. See what the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of God, who is the teacher this morning, has to say to you, his church. See, I've set before you an open door. See the open door. Behold, I've set before you an open door, the Spirit says. Take a look at the open door. You say, uh, preacher. Believe I've seen those open doors before. I'm tired. I don't know if I got enough energy for another open door. The Spirit speaks to the church at Philadelphia and says, Look, I've set before you an open door. Take a look. I think some of them must have responded, What, another open door? And the Lord says to the church, I know you've got a little strength. I know that about you. Sister, no matter your age or position in life, you want to live in a box. See, the open door is the message that God has a future for you in His service, in His plan, and in His purpose. And if you are tired, Don't say, Lord, go on to somebody else. I've done my time. That would be the wrong response to what the Spirit is speaking to His church and His churches. 
Every once in a while, a pastor has opportunity to minister to somebody who appears to be at the end of life. And they wonder why they're still hanging around. I've even had saints ask me, please pray that the Lord will take me. I'm ready to go to heaven. Why am I still here? And the answer to that is because God's not through with you yet. I've been trying to process the death of Dwayne, who is my friend and younger than I, and his sudden departure from the life that we live together here has shaken us all, particularly the ministers who gathered around him every week to plan our work together. But I've always said to you as well as to myself, my father taught me this, you are indestructible until the Lord is through with you here. Say, I want to stand in that faith, okay? I want to stand right there. You say, well, I don't know how that works out for everybody. That's all right. Claim it for you, all right? Just claim it for you. I'm indestructible as a child of God till the Lord's through with me on the planet. It'll put a spring in your step. It'll put energy in your walk. It'll give you a confidence as you get up in the morning that God still has stuff for you to do in the here and now. Maybe you're tired, but that's all right. Want some more energy? Give away some. Get busy in your world. Go next door to the neighbor that's hurting. If you feel like you just want to lie in the bed and die, get up. Get up from that place. See the open door. It'll energize you to change your life. It'll make you useful and significant for the years you got left. If you'll say, Lord, I see that open door. Somebody might say, I'm afraid. Don't you know what gathered open doors? Don't you know how dangerous doors are? People hide around doors. That's where they, that's where they waylay you. You can't see the other side. There are walls in this portal. And you don't ever know what's going to happen if you go through that door. Now, that's the nature of doors, isn't it? See, when you see the open door, you are challenged to trust in a world of skeptics. You are challenged to believe in a world full of cynics. And you may quiver and shake and refuse to move from your spot, but it will not protect you from life's dangers. Paul said, pray that a door may be opened for me. He was the kind of man who wanted people praying that the doors would fly open. He said, an effectual door is open for me for the preaching of the gospel in a certain place. And he was happy that that happened. See the door. You're on the planet breathing and your heart's beating so God's not through with you. Seize the crown. John writes this letter, the Spirit speaking to the church at Philadelphia. 
and says, look, you hold on to what you have so that nobody will take your crown. It is possible to live eras of your life with significance and purpose and then to wander off. The Apostle Paul said, this one thing I do, forgetting the things that are behind and reaching forth to the things that are before. He said, I am not going to give up on this race. He said, I'm not shadow boxing like one that beats the air. I'm not running aimlessly. I bring my body into subjection and make it my slave. So that, while I have preached to others, I myself should not be disqualified. There is a completion to the race. So everybody in the room has been called to a purpose under the plan and counsel of God. And the Holy Spirit has called you to himself and he saved you by his grace. And I'm telling you now, hold on. Hold on to what God's given. Hold on to the plan he's provided. Hold on, hold on to the truths that you know. Hold on to the word that he has given. Hold on to the church, which is your family. Hold on to the work and the giftedness that God has given you. And do not let anybody at the end of the race steal your crown. You hold on. Seize the crown. See the door and seize the crown and do good works. If you look up good works as a little phrase in the Bible you'll discover it's used a lot. The Bible talks about doing good. We serve a Savior. We call him Lord. You know what he went about doing? Somebody tell me what he went about doing. Good. <laughs> he went about doing good. And healing all who were oppressed of the devil. Why would he do that? Because God was with him. That's why. The scripture says five times in these seven letters, I know your deeds. The other two, he says, I know your suffering, I know your address. So you can rest assured today, whoever you are, in the plan of God, he knows your deeds, he knows your suffering, he knows your address. He has not forgotten you. These are the things he announces that he knows to the churches to which he writes. Five times he says, I know your deeds. I know your deeds. I know what you've been doing. At one time he breaks it out. He says, I know your love and your perseverance. I know your faith. I know you've held up against those who were attacking. I know you stayed strong in the truth. And as I read through the Bible and through these seven letters, I think the deeds to which he refers, I know your deeds, break down into really two kinds. And maybe you would do it differently, but just think about this for a minute. There are the deeds in your life 
that you'd put under the umbrella of holiness. God wants you to do good, that is, to be the person he's called you to be. Be holy as I am holy, says the Lord. And you know that the Ten Commandments are basically, thou shalt not. No murder, no lying, no adultery, no stealing, no coveting. And so we have those prohibitions. And part of the deeds we do is living a life that conforms to the instruction of Scripture. So, Lord, every day and every way, I'm seeking to do the things you've called me to do in my own individual morality, seeking to be the person you've called me to be. But there are also deeds like Jesus did of compassion and kindness and love. And you would be surprised if you ran a little search in your Bible on the phrase, the poor and needy. It pops up quite a bit. You say, well, why is that? Because God worries about the poor and needy. He worries about the widow and the orphan. He worries about the vulnerable and the ones who are run over sometimes by society and forgotten by the world. He worries about them. In fact, he built his church out of the folks who were, who were not at the top but at the bottom. Not many rich, not many wealthy, not many knowledgeable are called. God's calling the people who are at the lower echelon of society to come be with him. And the poor, they love to hear. And part of the sign of the kingdom is the poor have the gospel preached to them. Somebody on this planet cares about people who don't have anything to give them. It's Jesus. Everybody's working their angle, you know. They're willing to smile at you if you smile back. They're willing to give you a dollar if you can give them two. They're willing to give you love if you love them back. But what about the people on the planet who aren't looking for what they can get back, but just seeking to honor a God who gave freely unto them? It's like Jesus said, freely you have received, freely give. It took me a while walking with Jesus to understand that this was an essential dimension of life in him and life in his church. Not just my personal morality. I hadn't killed anybody. I'm not, a, I'm not an adulterer or a fornicator. I'm, I'm not stealing from anybody. Okay, good. So are you doing any good in the world then? I mean, your cat isn't stealing, is he? Your dog hadn't killed anybody, I hope. I mean, you know, when you think about it, to really make a difference on the planet, you've got to go beyond your personal morality and take up the call of Jesus who, who cared for the sick and the needy and went out into his world with an intention of making a difference. Somebody's got to do that. And you've got to do that not because you get something great back out of it. I know there are a hundred folks in here who every day, every week participate in Care Effect and many others who participate in, in wonderful works in the community. 
You can't depend on the thank you, can you? You're going to quit if you do. You know this, don't you? You can't depend on the thank you. Somebody's got to be at work in the world doing what's right and true and good and loving and kind. Not because they get a thank you, but because they know the Lord Jesus is watching his church. And he knows inside and out their works, their deeds, their compassion, perseverance, patience. At one point even says, I know your hard work. And we live this life not only of personal morality, but participation in a larger spectrum of doing the will and purpose of God. Because it is the example of Jesus. He has called us to do it. He says to his church, I know what you're up to. He calls his church to go into the world with this kind of love and to love as he has loved us. Think about this amazing open door that is before you. I've set before you an open door that no one can shut. What door might that be, Father? Well, this is your opportunity to love somebody who can't love you back. Now, you can get through that door without fighting the crowd. And if you go through that door, you will distinguish yourself as a follower of Jesus who has actually got it. I understand. He calls me not just to love my mother and my brother and my neighbor who loves me. He calls me to do good to those who persecute me. To care for those who use me unforgivably to love my enemies and in loving this way I demonstrate the love of the Father who sends his beautiful rain on the just and the unjust and lets the flowers blossom in the yards of those who do and those who don't thus displaying his gracious kindness toward everybody. Brothers and sisters, you can spend your life doing lots of things. When he gets to the end of this letter and says, I will make them pillars. I want you to be the pillar, okay? I want you to be the pillar. Now, you can be the pillar of any human organization 
with which you get involved. You can carry that thing. All human organizations have pillars. They have people they count on. They go to. They have the people that carry them and make them happen. I want to challenge you to something, though. The letter says, I'm going to make them pillars in the temple of my God, all right? I want to challenge you to be a pillar in your church. To be one of the people who make it happen. For the glory of God and the gospel of Christ and the love of the Lord Jesus. Be a pillar. Be the one who you can count on. The one who makes the work go forward. Who doesn't wait for the rest, but leads the way. You're going to do something with your life. You've got choices to make, and the clock is ticking. There is one organization on this planet that God created to last forever. It is His church. He has rescued us by His grace from the ravages of sin, picked us up out of the miry pit, so that in the eternal ages to come, after a million years, it will still be true. For the ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness toward you in Christ Jesus. God is doing something eternal in his church that will bring him glory in the halls of heaven and the roadways of heaven for all eternity so that when the angels see you they will say how good is God <laughs> there's old David Crosby <laughs> never would have been in heaven but for the grace of God God saved him, forgave his sin, cleaned him up now he's here and every time I see him I think about how good God is for all the ages to come, he will show the riches of his grace in his kindness toward me through Christ Jesus. Be a pillar in the work that is eternal and moves on forever that transforms the lives of people, that lifts the hurting and the dying that brings the grace of God to those in need, that cares for those nobody else cares for. Bring a pillar, be a pillar in the work that started with Jesus. Be a pillar in his church. Three things are written on the pillar. I will write the name of my God. Thank you, Lord. Are you ready to bear his name? Pillars, have the name written on your forehead. I'll write the name of the city of my God. I like that. The new Jerusalem coming down from above. John's going to talk about that later in the book. But I like having the name of the city written on there. Tyrone Walker's over here, and we're working for a city that is better than the one we've had before. 
But we wouldn't say of any city on the planet, that's just all divine. They're all a work in progress, but God is telling us the work that you're doing, there is a wonderful outcome to it. There is a city that belongs to God, and you're working toward that city as you work here in this city. We know we're not going to fix everything on the planet. We won't get it all perfectly done. We're not going to create a utopia here. But one day, God's going to let down his glorious new Jerusalem like a bride received by the groom coming down out of heaven prepared for us. And God writes the name of the city on his pillar. And he writes his new name. I'm going to write my new name on that pillar too. Pillars have the name of God and the city of God and the new name, Jesus, Savior, Messiah, and Lord, Redeemer and Friend written on them. Here's something to give your life to. Something of great significance and value. Something that challenges you every day and something that opens the door to the future. Look, I have set before you an open door. Nobody can shut it. I know you got a little strength, but you hold fast to what you have. Hang on to the crown that you've received. And the Spirit says, I'll make you a pillar in the temple of my God. Let's bow together. Now, I started this service saying there's an open door in front of you, and I hope that you'll ask the Holy Spirit to show you that door. If you feel closed in and like life is shut down on you, would you ask the Holy Spirit to show you the open door? It may be somebody who lives near you, somebody who needs you. It may be a family member. That open door may have a face. It may be a challenge that comes to you from the Spirit. But I believe God has before every living, breathing follower of His a door that is open to continue to serve Him with significance in His world. Lord, show us the door, each one of us, every sister, every brother in the room. Show us the doors that are open before First Baptist New Orleans. Thank you, God, for the wide-open door. Lord, give us courage and strength to walk through the open door, to seize what is ours in your plan and purpose and accomplish the work you've given us to do. Lord, I pray for those in this room who may have never trusted Jesus as Savior that this would be a moment of transformation. God, that you would call them to yourself. For others who have never joined with a body of believers, that this might be the day they do. Lord, do you work in us by your Holy Spirit, we pray in Jesus' name.